Hey, welcome to the After Now podcast with Tim and George. Give us a listen. What do you have to lose? Because let's be honest, you've wasted time on sketchier stuff than this. Hey, Tim. Hey, George. What's up? So, so I heard this story about, uh, about this guy. And uh, he's talking to his son. He says, son, we need to talk. And the kid says, yeah, dad. He said, your mother said she saw you watching inappropriate videos online. Those videos are trash. They ruin your mind. And you keep watching them, you're going to go blind. Kid says, dad. Dad says, yeah. He said, hey, I'm over here. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry, John. Hey, oh, try the veal. Hey, try the veal. Nice. <laughs> um, so, uh, why don't I why don't I set up the show? Uh, what we're going to be discussing? Uh, we're going to be discussing electric vehicles, and what we try to do is we try to. Uh, well, first of all, our our motto on this show is. Every episode, we try to suck less. So, John, you got to try to help us suck less. I'm pretty good at not sucking. And I'm very okay. Sucking. By the way, before you cut all the way into this, we were talking about, obviously, you know, Tim's background. But so he knows, um, besides being a, an avid car guy, which was my oldest brother was a car guy when I was younger. So I was introduced to it then. I'm also a big race fan and I follow high end racing. So I follow Formula One, IndyCar and sports car. In fact, uh, I was just at the Rolex 24 hours. I am on my way day after tomorrow for the IndyCar opener where I'm a guest of a sports car race team that I often am. I know the owners and the big sponsors. Nice. I'm fairly familiar with the e-racing league mm -hmm. uh, and have watched some of it. And uh, there's there will be some points when we discuss electric cars that will relate actually back to some of my racing experience. So I thought I'd throw that out there just so Tim knows. George, I know you see me all the time yeah. around the place going to various races. Yeah, yeah, Formula One races. All the, yeah, yep. <laughs> so um, I thought I'd throw that out there. Okay, awesome. thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you. So uh, as we dive in, uh, what we're going to do is, uh, again, we, we try to learn something new. Uh, we try to talk about different topics that are, are coming up or uh, just for education. And clearly, electric cars are coming relevant. they're relevant yeah. and they're and they're coming um and people feel a certain way about them uh and it's going to be a big change um and so we just and this is really a picture in time this is a moment a picture of a moment in time because things are going to you know three years from now the landscape's going to be so different than it is right now and that's okay um and maybe people will go back and say wow they got it all wrong or wow there was some some interesting insight um, because right now we're at that inflection point where we're going from petrol cars to electric cars. They don't call okay, them petrol. So they call, they call them ice cars now. What are they calling? Internal combustion engines, ice cars. Oh, for God. I know. Right. I love it. Combust as much as we can. <laughs> <laughs> so um so we're, we're going to talk about this on a, a, a couple different levels um 
Uh, let me introduce John Gust, our guest, um, who's a car collector, um, has been uh, into automobiles for pretty much his whole life, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, and and ha I think uh, you're going to have an interesting perspective because you are... Um, you are someone that really appreciates the history of the automobile. Oh yeah. And so as we move forward, uh, you know, it, we're, we're going to get into the different aspects of, of where cars are going. Um, Tim is a Tesla owner. Um, and it's interesting, Tim, uh, if, if you don't mind me bringing this up, um, you were, I don't mind. You were a pretty hardcore fan of, um, of cars that weren't necessarily mainstream. You were a big Saab fan for many years. Yeah, I was, um, I have, my my background is, you know, mostly European. Um, I owned some BMWs. Um, I owned a lot of Saabs. Um, and, and not like, when, when I talk about BMWs, I'm talking about the M3s. Um, you know, so more of the pedigree, more of the racing inspired, um, yeah, uh, I've driven uh, a lot of different cars as well, Porsches, you know, uh, Corvettes, stuff like that. Uh, but I've pretty much stuck with, and you're right, George, I pretty much stuck with um, either BMW or Saab. And um, my last um, ICE internal combustion engine car was a uh, Saab 95. Um, uh, it was the uh, platform that was actually built by uh, General Motors uh, after they had acquired Saab. Prior to that, um, I had uh, a 9.3 and then a 9.3 that was built uh, specifically, you know, uh, out of out of country and imported in. So I, I was four deep with Saab um, <laughs> and then about three or four deep with BMW as well. Early, early Audi guy, but I'm not going to go back that far. Uh, I don't want to completely age myself. Um, so, yeah. And then and then I went to uh, then I went to Tesla. So you're right about that. So, um this is an interesting conversation uh, for for myself um, because I, I've been a car aficionado for a very long time. Um, mostly American, uh, mostly older muscle. Um, and I've kind of come uh, about, I've done about a 180 in the last nine months or so, but kind of. And let me explain. Um, so I had to buy a car and with the car shortages and all that, because I'm putting out a ton of miles, I just bought a little Hyundai that I'm going to put a ton of miles on because I know in three years, the thing's going to, whatever it's going to be, is just going to have ridiculous miles on. So that's fine. Um, the idea of an electric car um, is, is appealing. Now, the way we drive is is a little bit outside the norm. So we make probably half a dozen trips a year um, to a place that is 400 miles one way. That's an issue if, if looking at an electric car because we need something that can carry quite a bit of stuff. And that's beyond the range of, of pretty much all electric cars at this point. So I know they'll get there. I know they'll get there. Um, and so where I was like, oh, electric cars are just not feasible. I'm kind of looking at, you know, for most people, 
it probably will be. Uh, most people don't make those kind of trips. Um, I, I, I think the technology is is definitely um, is definitely improving. There are more players coming out. Um, all the big three are coming out with with electric car, or, or most of the big manufacturers are coming out with electric cars. So I've come around to the fact that I don't need to hear the rumble of a V8. <laughs> okay. What happened? Did you get dropped on your head? Well, uh, <laughs> I, I, well, <clears throat> I, I've come to the realization that it's going to happen whether I like it or not. Well, that's that's definitely an opinion. Uh, as we get into it, you'll see that some of us might have a different opinion. And and I, I'm and so. Um, I, I get, I, I get, I get, I, 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 I get, I, I guess here, here's my, here's my thought overall for a daily driver. And this is what I, I came, I kind of came to grips with. Do I really care what's powering it? Yes. Dear Lord. Yes. I'm about to replace mine and I'm having an issue because my current daily, uh, I call it my SUV is a Mercedes-Benz E550 4Matic. So I have 406 horsepower of twin turbocharged V8. I believe it's 4.6 liters. And it's baritone sound, like all the cars in my collection and everything I love, is part, a large part of its allure. And I can tell you I agree. that uh, waiting parked uh, to pick up my son at school the other day, uh, a woman with her SUV went to pull in front of me, parked on a side street and had a little problem with spatial recognition and decided to drag her SUV across the bow of my car. Oh. Well, I'm currently driving an Audi Q3, uh, a base one. So it's basically for an engine as a mouse chasing a piece of cheese on a conveyor belt. <laughs> but here, here's the thing. And, and this, is, this is the crux. And it's for a lot of people. And there's so many different angles we can talk about. But I can tell you that this car is plenty quick. I mean, even at 184 horsepower, they, you know, they gear these things. They all got eight, yeah. speed, now nine speeds, 10 speeds. And it it gets up and goes, especially if I adjust it to dynamic and everything. But my son and I just like, it just sounds so lame getting there. And that's, you know, part of the experience. When you get into your car, it's your world. Now, for some people, the tech world of, of the Tesla is a wonderful thing. Same with the mind-boggling acceleration, at least zero to 60 or zero to 70. Um, and I've driven, I have a, a Tesla connection and I've only driven the P90D, um, but I did, you know, ludicrous mode and it's, you know, absolutely crazy, but sound is really, really, really big to a lot of us, including my daily. And now Mercedes no longer makes a V8 in their regular lineup. So as I'm literally about to sell my car in the next few weeks, I have to move up to AMG and a 600 plus horsepower V8 because I have to have a V8. It's also a different feeling, seat of the pants feeling to have torque. People often ask the difference between torque and horsepower. And Tim can tell you as a Tesla owner, you know, that's got torque up the yin yang. And yeah. torque is torque is what shoves you in the back of your seat. And it just short of electric vehicles, smaller engine vehicles just don't have that same shove to the back of your seat. They get wound up and going at the horsepower end but so to answer your question without taking another half an hour <laughs> yes the engine in my car is beyond important and the sound is beyond important i'm actually i'm actually considering the m5 is now available in all-wheel drive mm -hmm. and i have two bmws in the collection and my wife uh, wife my girlfriend has a nice beamer as well and she's about to get an m850i convertible for her she's going to replace her four series um 
the sound of the Beamer, as good as it is, isn't as good as the Benzo. And that's actually, I'm going to pay 20 grand more for really a super equivalent car because the Benz sounds ass kicking. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I, I hear what you're saying, you know, and what I'm saying for. So do my for, neighbors. <laughs> for, for, for most people. Right. So, you know, Tracy was in a, my wife was in a car accident and she, we ended up with the Toyota Sequoia and she told me, she goes, this is my car. You will never get me out of a Sequoia. And they the stopped. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And they stopped making the V8 in 22. Um, but my, uh, so our kajillion pound Sequoia is actually quicker than my 1980s Mustang GT. It's got sure. a zero, it's got a zero to 60 time in like low six seconds for a, a car. But, that, but your Mustang GT would have had, was it a Fox body? It would have had like the five liter. Yeah, um, it was an 83, uh, five liter, five right. speed. In, so two in, and a quarter horse. I had a, I had an 84 GT convertible, um, which I love, but that was 225 horse. Now you look at these six bangers, the base oh, yeah. bang is 300 plus horsepower. I just bought my 17 year old, his very first car, and I got him uh, an Infiniti G37 sedan. He's a big kid, needs a bigger car, and it's all wheel drive, which I want. But the darn thing's got 329 horsepower. I mean, it'll smoke half my muscle cars. <laughs> yeah. And I don't have like just average muscle cars. I got some fast stuff, but so, moderate are quick. So as a, as a collector and as a car enthusiast, I guess I have to ask, and I think I already know the answer to this, but John, are you really not happy with the way that, you know, the industry's, you know, uh, pivoting? I mean, from, from the perspective of where they were, let's say five years ago to, you know, uh, a greater adoption of uh, electric. Uh, I'd like to hear your, your viewpoint on that. So Tim, that's a great question. Um, and I, I kind of, I hate to, take anything because I don't want to be political, but I kind of liken it to the vaccine situation right now. Um, I have no problem with electric cars. Uh, I think there's a place for them. I totally do. And I, I know they're fast as can be, but they're not for everybody. And, and we alluded earlier pre-show about racing. I mean, I was mad when Formula One went hybrid because they're so quiet that it, it took away some of the, the hair standing on your end thrill of racing. So my thoughts are this, I have no problem with the electric car. I think it's going to expand greatly. What I have a problem with is when they start making it an agenda and saying all cars are going to be electric in 30 years. No, they're not. We don't have the grid for it. Who are they kidding? California's on rolling blackouts right now. And they, you know, how many electric cars are out there? You have everybody come home and plug into the grid at night. Yeah. Oh, smokes. You're going to be sitting at work and lights are going to be flashing and what's going to power that electric? In the end, it goes back to either coal-fired or nuclear. Yeah, it, There's still some production to make that electricity. Is it more efficient? Yeah, and I, I'm sure we're going to get into the whole environmental impact of, uh, um, you know, gases and, and versus, you know, mining of boron and the components need for lithium-ion batteries and that kind of stuff. But um, I think there's a place for the electric car. I think for a lot of people, even if it makes them feel good for, for a while, Auto Week, which you know I read pretty religiously for 20 years, they used to often uh, talk about the price of gas and the point of inflection, the break-even point 
when the $10,000 premium you'd pay for an electric accord over a, a ice, notice how I picked that up, Tim, nice. ice nice. accord, um, they would say before you could recover it on an average three years of what the average per, per person puts on miles, and they had a, a, a gasoline price point that made that. And that, I think, obviously is going to ebb and flow with the price of fuel. Um, and so I think a lot of people get a green feeling for driving electric, and that makes them feel good. But I don't ever want to be guilted into thinking that they're like super special or greener than me, or you actually have kids now who will like yell stuff at you for driving an ice. Yeah. God, I love this new word <laughs> for, for driving an, an ice. Well, and, and that's a, that, that was one of the things. So uh, when I was saying uh, I'm coming around to the electric car, that I think that there, like you said, I think there's a place for it. I think for a daily driver, maybe it, it's, you know, I think it's probably going to be fine for most people that, that, whose trips are less than 20 miles a day or what have you. Um, Urban dwellers. Yes. But, um, and, and uh, we were talking about it uh, in, in our family as well. <clears throat> the fact that it's being pushed so hard <sighs> and the fact that it's, look, it's not going to help the environment in the short term. I don't know that it's going to help the environment in the long term. And everyone's like, oh, we're going to go to green energy. Well, guess what? In Where I'm at, northern Illinois, everything around us and in, in southern Wisconsin, those are all coal-fired plants. They, they just are. So, okay, they, they, if you truly want to go green energy, my opinion, my humble opinion, the, only, the cleanest way to do it is through nuke plants, which are not in vogue right now. Okay. Oh, we are going to get so much hate mail. It's not even funny. I, well, but you know what? You know what? It, it, well, well. Here, here are the facts, right? They are. Um, they are you're absolutely right. I agree with everything so, you're saying. So, so we're going to go. Oh, we need solar and wind. Well, guess where those solar panels end up after 20 years? They end up in these poor African countries because nobody wants to deal with them. And so, uh, it's been been done for years. The European countries have donated their used solar panels, which aren't good anymore, which are full of toxic chemicals to these African countries. And they end up in these villages, just, you know, meters high and they poison the water and all that crap. And what do they do with the windmill blades after 20 years? They oh my bury gosh. Them. They bury them. Right. So um, as long as, as long as they take that part out about saying, Oh, we're going to do this because we're saving the planet. Yeah, you're Bullshit, not right. You're not. And What's so the batteries at the end? I mean, you're talking about the fact that we've got all these blades from these defunct wind farms, which they're either bearing or they're doing like, uh, well, out in Tucson, they have that big, great, you know, the airplane graveyard where they have these fuselages. But the biggest thing, aside from the mining of the chemicals, which is dangerous um, and has some environmental impact. And right now, sadly, it has some labor impact of who they're using to mine those. But the biggest thing is the disposable nature or the lack thereof of these lithium ion batteries, let, let alone we can, I mean, I'm sure we're going to get into the, the fire risk and some of the other risks, but just staying strictly on the, am I being green thing? And I get that that's admirable, but they're really looking at it short-sighted because you have to look at all the factors, production of the batteries, how you get there, and then disposal of the batteries. And then, you know, for me, Coal-fired plants and you know, plugging in your 220 at home. Um, 
that's not a huge difference, certainly when you're driving around. And granted, our, our uh, car emissions have come a long way. And who knows where that's going to go technologically as electrics develop too. But what's being happened or what's happening, in my opinion, is they're kind of forcing the hand. So the development's all going towards these electric vehicles and cash for clunkers and we everything's got to be electric by here and cafe standards. They want you to get 180 miles a gallon. They're kind of pushing it instead of, again, I'm a capitalism guy and I'm a, a, a Darwinism guy. I want you know the best man to be left standing. And in the end, I'd like to see people to continue to develop uh, cleaner ways of having the ice. Gosh, that's like four times I've used that word already. So... <laughs> That's great. That's fun. I like a new word. But if you have that same crazy development going towards more and more emissions, I mean, we already have unbelievably efficient engines with really low emissions testing. And we go in and we get checked all the time. Uh, luckily, not with my Hemicuda and some of my cars that <laughs> 110 octane leaded racing fuel, uh, which I burn with a smile because I doubt my 25 trip you know, 25 mile trip around the area of Lake Geneva a couple times a month. And that is, uh, is killing any trees or harming any humans as, as I, <laughs> but it will be interesting to see what happens going forward with the biggest that, you know, range they're getting to um, that will come quicker than the grid. Right. Because the grid is going to be the biggest piece of the puzzle. And it is a dog chasing its tail because as time goes forward and the grid gets bigger um, or more uh, able to handle this, our population's getting bigger. And we keep letting you know everybody in. And you know, I don't know if you guys noticed, but during COVID, when there was no traffic, man, that was freaking awesome. Aside, that was great. Yeah, except for all these idiots doing 90 miles an hour in the left lane. And then, of course, running into the, I can be in the left lane. I'm doing the speed limit. <laughs> Talk about a topic for another podcast. We need to have a left lane driving well, topic. I, I, well, I wanted I, to. Oh, I wanted to ask a question really quickly, and 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 make a statement because you know, John, I absolutely agree with you, and I think I think it's you're hitting all the points. What I've seen, what I've seen over the last, I'd say, five years, uh, minus two years ago when you couldn't go to the consumer electronics show, was I saw I've seen <laughs> I've seen an industry shift, and that industry shift is. Exactly what you just mentioned, um, bringing the grid closer to controlling that part of the grid in the house. What I've seen, at least in areas that could benefit by it, and again, I need to emphasize benefit by it, you know, the Southwest, uh, California, anything where you get a lot of sun, I'm talking North America specifically, um, you're seeing a lot of technology around um, how can we get energy from the panels to the car more efficiently, more efficiently, not using inversion technology, not using, um, not having to go from AC to DC back to AC, you know, um, th those types of things and, and even reverse that. So what I've seen is, is a, lot, a lot of smart grid technology move from the city grid into the home. And I've seen a lot of innovation around that space where, you know, you're able to now take advantage of solar being able to actually power the car, being able to dump that energy into the car, and being a actually able to charge the car. Um, where and I sell back extra energy, too, and, and, right? Well, yes, and as we all know, depending on what state you're in, whether it's blue, whether it's red, whether it's purple, um, those laws will vary. Um, and yeah. that's a great point. But um, 
you know, I've seen that pressure that you mentioned on the industry really kind of take a bite out of the, let's see if we can attack the home grid. Let's see if we can make it more efficient for the home buyer, the person who's actually going to be making the investment um, to, you know, reap the benefits of, hey, if I already have solar, maybe I can, you know, make it more efficient to charge my car. A lot of Tesla, uh, a lot of Tesla owners are, are really looking for that. Can we squeeze more juice out of the, you know, whatever it is we're trying to, mm-hmm. the, the apple. <laughs> and right. can, can we, can we drink the apple juice? Um, that's, that's Musk is doing that now. Right. I mean, he's, he's trying to, he's got a lot of different home setups where you can, you know, work towards your end that you're discussing. My question to you would be, um, you kind of targeted areas, areas that have decent sun, California, Mm -hmm. which is great. But what do you do? Um, we already said that based on range and a couple other factors, the fact that you don't want pollution, et cetera makes the car, the electric car, especially in small uh, forms, um, ideal for the, you know, the urban setting, for the city. Now, you don't have a house with a big roof that you can angle your panels at the sun. You've got 500 people jammed into, you know, a condo. And you've got them all parked down in a garage. And it seems to me that that's going to be, there's many hurdles. um, Because I, I agree with your home setup. But the biggest demand is going to be away from that more urban, suburban or rural setting. What, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, as you get into the more urban areas and even downtown Chicago, downtown Phoenix, downtown, even Los Angeles, which is a spread out city, you're going to get uh, that has urban sprawl, right? Uh, you're going to get a situation where you're going to have less efficiency in that denser urban area and more efficiency, ironically, in uh, what we used to consider the urban sprawl, because there'll be more urban areas uh, contributing to uh, adding power back into the grid. I absolutely, right. yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Though what I've seen as a trend, and I think it's an odd trend, is um, areas where, let's say, downtown Phoenix or the greater Phoenix area, Chicago, Metro um, San Francisco, Metro Los Angeles. I've seen a lot of influx in in Tesla's a lot of just, they seem to be very Tesla slanted. Um, whereas, you know, you'll see a couple of Nissan Leafs, you know, other cars, some, some volts and bolts, um, uh, depending on when people bought them, but very heavy Tesla. And, you know, I wonder, I wonder if that's a, um, if that's a human condition situation, I'm wondering if that's more or less, and I guess I'll ask this question to you. I I'm wondering if that's more of a, Hey, we live in this area. This is more of a, uh, we are, we are a, um, uh, a product of our environment. So do you, that was a proverbial taking the words out of my mouth. I think that aside from uh, Tesla being located out there, although I was, when I was down for the United States Grand Prix, I, I drove uh, through the outskirts of Austin and I saw Musk's new Tesla facility. Yeah. Dear Lord, you could have three Super Bowls inside the thing. Um, but I also think it is part of the, um, not look at me, um, but I think it's definitely going to be bigger out there because that's just a kind of a California vibe. Yeah. Um, yeah. It always has been. And I could totally see Tesla taking the lead from that. Um, for me, that's, you know, short of I have a friend who 
you know, has a Corvette and has a, you know, wicked uh, three series or four series Beamer um, and a, uh, what's the, uh, the Ford truck, the lightning he's got all that, but, but he does most of his driving. He keeps a couple of uh, what, what's the Honda uh, or no, that what's the Toyota uh, electric Prius. Prius. Yeah. See, yeah I, not the Prius. Shit. Um, he's got a Prius at his home in Florida, one for his daughter and one that he keeps up here in Chicago when he, when he comes up. So he likes to drive those. So short of seeing those, I see mostly Tesla's. Tesla. I was almost went Tesla Kickles. <laughs> but Tesla's the one thing, and don't cut that up. One, one thing. <laughs> no, we're leaving that, that in. That's not going to oh, go anywhere. Yep. Um, the one, the one car that I saw, I was uh, my girlfriend and I were shopping um, Lake Norman, North Carolina, for retirement, which of course Mooresville sits on Lake Norman, which is the home of many NASCAR teams and even. Penske racing and a Formula One team in the form of Haas racing. And as we were driving around beautiful areas, um, this beautiful Audi rolled up to me, uh, scared the crap out of me because I couldn't hear a damn thing. E-tron, yeah. It was an e-tron. Yeah. I, I asked, you know, being me being shy and a car guy, I asked the guy, what do you think of your e-tron? And of course he gushed. And I have to say, of all the vehicles I've looked at, um, electronically. And obviously the plaid is nuts crazy when it comes to just wicked straight line speed. Um, but styling wise and even functionality, um, that e-tron looked really attractive to me. Yeah. So I'm surprised since I've seen that, I just really haven't seen that much. Now, granted, we've been boxed in our houses for the longest two weeks of my life, but, um, I, you know, I'm sure that you see, even in Arizona, um, which leads me to another question about heat and fires, but <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of, of Teslas out there. And I, I think part of it is the, um, the positioning of yourself to say, hey, look at me. I'm part of that California wave. I care about the environment. Um, whether it's true or not, it makes them feel good. And you know what? I don't have a problem with that. Just don't take away my fuel. And don't take away my ice and don't take away the joy I get every time I fire up different cars. You know, you were talking about BMWs. Mm -hmm. uh, most recent addition to my collection is a 2008 M6 convertible manual of which they only made, it was made for the SMG3, the sequential manual gearbox. It's only about 3% of production. Why do I want, or why did I want that car? Because I now have it because it had a V10 engine, the only one BMW ever built, based on the Sauber Formula One engine. And for those out there in podcast land who don't know, a V10 has a very distinct sound caused by the firing order of its cylinders. So when you, if you had a Ferrari 8 coming at you and a Lamborghini 10 coming at you, the Lamborghini is easy to hear. If you go to a sports car, an IMSA or an SRO race, and you have all these different, you have three or four classes of cars, and different, you have Porsche sixes, you have Corvette eights. And back in the day, this race team I was affiliated with had the 007 Aston Martin V12s. And those sounded different. And incidentally, Tim, the V10 convertible went to sit next to my V12 850 CSI that I've had for 20 years. So I bought that car for the sound because it's a five liter, 500 horsepower V10. It's not that quick. It's certainly, I have a, a couple cars that are quicker. And when I say not that quick, Obviously, a 500 horse <laughs> is a relative term, but I bought it for the sound, and I'll go you one better. 
Um, my previous owner did a modification. Now, remember, we said I'm a purist, uh, but this modification um, I left alone and the uh, BMW circles, especially in the E64, which is the internal code for this car, call it muffler delete. So I have resonators, catalytic converters, and the mufflers are cut out to straight pipes. Wow. And my Beamer, which redlines at 8250, sounds like a Huracan at a third or a quarter of the price. And now it sounds so good. And granted, my girlfriend is my girlfriend that she cannot help that every time she's in the car, that she makes a comment about how much she loves the sound. Yeah. And I drive that car and I bought that car because I love the sound. And if you go through my garage, short of my NSX, which is weak on sound, I bought almost every car I own heavily based on sound. Especially through a tunnel, right? Well, tunnels are our friend. Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite thing. I like to take videos through tunnels. Yeah. So, in, in, in John, in, I... I absolutely agree with what you're saying because it is, and that's one of the things about electric cars um, and, and just, and they're new. <clears throat> All right. And I think what would make them less annoying for me is if we, <laughs> is if we had real conversations about them of, of, okay, these are the strengths and the benefits of electric cars. Um, but let's be realistic about them. Right. We're going to save the plant. Just stop. And the fact that they're getting pushed, um, you know, Toyota, actually, they, they just announced, uh, I think it was yesterday, that they made big improvements on a hydrogen engine. They got a V8 hydrogen engine that they're working on. And, Which I like, by the way. Yeah. And, and, and Toyota came out many years ago and said they were not big fans of electrification. They, they really were putting their money in, in their research in, in hydrogen. Which, which they have a lot of, by the way. Well, yeah, we, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, you know, what's the emissions from a hydrogen car? It's water. Water. Water comes out the tailpipe. That's all. Yep. And, and so that's clean. Um, and I would just, you know, the, the fact that, again, it's just, we're getting beat over the head with it is, is what's, what's kind of annoying. But the you're other, so right. We the, are. Yeah. And, and the other thing. Um, so there, there's two more points I want to make. And, and I think the car, um, the car industry is going after a model that Tim and I worked together at a phone company. And what was our friend in the phone company was monthly reoccurring revenue. Okay. And so it seems like that's where I think cars, uh, car uh, manufacturers really want to go where you don't own it. You pay a monthly. Okay, because there's a there's a ton more money in it. So you don't pay the initial nut of buying the car. Let's say you pay two hundred dollars a month and you get a car to use. Now, it may even go past that point to the point where it's uh, self-driving cars and you just call it when you need it. Americans are highly rebellious and want their freedom so much. I don't see that happening for a very long time, if ever here. Hey, if someone can call up my Tesla and they can go make money for me, it's, you know, I have no problems with that. Go do it. But I don't, I, and I'm, look, I'm going to be the first to say this uh, as a Tesla owner. I do not trust autonomous driving. I do not trust <laughs> anything to do. I mean, it, to me, autonomous driving is, 
at best, <clears throat> a 16-year-old who just got his or her license. And it's, you know, if you've ever been a nervous parent sitting behind, <laughs> you know, or next to your child while they're learning how to drive, that's how I feel when I got, you know, autonomous driving engaged. So I've, I've seen it do some wacky things. It's not 100%. Um, so before we even get to that point, you know, we've got we've to figure that you know, can it drive itself? No. And so therefore it's not going to make money for me. And that makes me very sad. And, and there, there's one, there's a, a bigger point um, that, and it, maybe it's the way they're marketed. Maybe it's the way they're designed uh, because uh, of they kind of have a certain look to the electric cars. One of the things Americans have a love affair with automobiles and I, I, I think anybody will see that. That's why you see even people that have total beaters will try to modify them or personalize them a little bit because people are just, in general, proud of their cars. It's the ultimate expression of freedom. Oh, it is. It is. However, I don't know any other way to describe it. A lot of electric cars... And I think because they're trying to make them stand out and look electric or look a certain way to me, and that's just right now. And maybe that's going to change. I don't really see them having a soul. And I have to, I have to make again, I don't want to interrupt you. So if you really want to continue point, tell me to try to remember it, but I have a point on that soul. And, and some of it comes from sound. Um, and some of it comes from, and people, you know, they're already modifying Teslas. People pull their seats sure. up, bag race them and, and do things. And, and all those things you said are true. And the, and the car hobby's never been bigger. And the, the proliferation of that is the fact that the world's uh, use of information and dissemination of information is so big and so different. You know, I've been going to the auctions for years. When they started televising them, that's what reignited my hey, what the heck, I'm going to own a couple of cars. I, I always, I had multiple cars when I was young. Um, but it, it it's really made the car hobby that much bigger. And some of it could be electric, you know, and that's fine. But when you talk about soul, when I was waiting to buy my McLaren, which I wanted a very specific spec, and I had to sell uh, one of my ICE cars, Tim, <laughs> which got tremendous fuel mileage. It was a 1971 11,000 mile triple black 446 pack super B. So, so basically you, filled oh, yeah. the, you filled the car up and you got down the block and you had to go fill it up yeah. again. Well, you could visually watch the needle move. <laughs> when you stepped into the mechanical, it would, it's mechanical linkage and you operate on the center two barrel. And when you break through the mechanical linkage, you kick into six barrels. Anyway, so I sold that fuel economy baby. Uh, on BAT, which, by the way, is another example, which they just sold the Tesla Roadster for a ton of money. Mm-hmm. No, no, hold on. Hold on. BAT, bring, bring a, trailer. a trailer. Bring a trailer is absolutely huge. I mean, it's absolutely humongous. And that's because it's a format that really works. And I remember- and, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry, John, but just for, for our listeners, that's a, it's a website and it's so a bring, marketplace to sell cars. So Bring a Trailer is an auction site for automobiles. In, in the beginning, thus the name Bring a Trailer, it was really about more project cars and kind of goofy cars. But what people soon realize is unlike eBay, where you can ask somebody a question and they'll respond in a, a message to you, um, and you can put 30 some pictures and maybe some videos or maybe link it to your website, this, they actually accept you. You have to apply 
pictures, tell them about your car. Then most people put between 150 and 250 or 300 pictures and videos. And then during the auction, there's an interactive chat the whole time where people comment and people ask questions. Hey, can we get a driving video? Hey, these cars are known to have issues with the filler between the front bumper on a GNX. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and these people can go out and take pictures. So the bottom line is, and COVID obviously made it explode even more, is it's an amazing way to sit at home, but interact with a seller and make him come up with real specifics, specifics that are better than when I even go and physically look at a car, because these guys go around with paint meters to prove that the paint thickness is, you know, original paint. These, you can, you might not have known a problem. And some guy with the username, you know, super car geek says, Hey, you know, there's an issue with the uh, rear spring separating from the, you know, and all of a sudden the dude's up there with a camera taking pictures. Like, I didn't even know about that issue. Glad. <laughs> But bring a trailer is amazing, and I, I kind of digress, but I, I want to go back to the um, the soullessness of an electric car. Obviously, so much of that comes from sound. Sound is so hugely important. It makes people feel good. It, it gives you a sense of what the car is doing besides that feeling and that rush. And in racing, I can tell you when Formula One went from normally aspirated engines that redlined at 19,000 RPMs where the valves were actuating so fast they couldn't develop springs that could do it. So they were pneumatic. They were controlled with little bursts of air. And the sound of that, I would stand at the exit of a corner in Montreal and a V10 or a V12 Ferrari would go by and I would have earplugs in and hands over my ears and it hurt like hell. And I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> Every, every freaking hair on my body stood up and I never, in all the years I took multiple people, I've been to 24 of them and I've been to, you know, another hundred various races. I've never had somebody who didn't turn to me and say, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen or heard in my life. And when an electric car goes by, it sounds like a golf cart. Yeah, it's going fast, but you lose perception of speed. You lose the soul of here's the power. Here's that internal combustion engine acronym ICE really ripping and making a sound. So back to my buying of, of the GT, I bought a, a 2017 GTR. For those who aren't familiar, that's Nissan. It was called the Skyline in Japan. It was given the nickname Godzilla because its first couple of years of racing in a series in Japan, it won every race. Not like it was good. It won every race. They called it Godzilla. Um, well, it, well, and do you know why they named it the GTR? Uh, I do not. Because those are my initials, and I'm. Ah, I was going to go. Grand, I was going to go wow. Grand Touring Rougeur. <laughs> um, so they eventually brought the car to the states in 09, and it was a tremendous, much like the Corvette. It was a tremendous bang for the buck, but it made its power differently. And we're talking about how obviously a, a Tesla or an electric vehicle makes its power differently. And <clears throat> there's characteristics. There's amazing torque and lightning acceleration and different things. Well. The GTR is famous and still for it. It makes its power with a twin turbocharged six, but it's got all these computer brains. They're all all wheel drive that in milliseconds know everything that's going on more so than a lot of cars. And, and I have cars with decent you know, traction control. But as I was reading about the GTR, the dig on it was that it lacked a bit of soul. Some of it was because of a lack of sound because a six that you now turbocharge, which is you. <coughs> gases right to to jam fuel and air and all an engine is a giant air bomb unless of course it's electric um it was so perfect that it was like driving a video game that you would point and it just goes 
And I'm like, yeah, but it's 575 horsepower and zero to 60 and three flat. And I got the car beautiful blue with tan. The build quality was just absolutely gorgeous. And those cars are going nuts. And of course, that's a community where everybody modifies. So these sick goofballs start with these five, you know, 600 horsepower cars and they do what's called FBO. And that's full bolt on, which means it's just turbos, down pipes and a retune. And these suckers, FBO are 750, but the real guys make 1400 horsepower and, and go out hunting people down to drag race these cars. It's crazy. Me, I'm the purest. I left it stock. And what I found is the computers are so perfect that the driving experience was very Tesla-esque. It was almost perfect. It was just this firing acceleration. Um, I took our friend Vic Chikin for a ride and Vic's had a Hellcat. He's had a Z06. Um, he right now has his uh, his deceased father, God rest his soul, his 63 split window vet oh, yeah. that he brought to my engine builder in Silver Lake, Wisconsin, and they built modern power and brakes and it's a wicked car. And his comment, and I took him for a couple of, of we'll call them aggressive runs. <laughs> and he's like, does this car ever bobble, wobble or burn out or do anything? And I'm like, kind of no. I mean, it does if you throw 1400 horsepower, but in stock form, it just, you pointed it and it goes, or you throw on launch control, step on the brake floor and release. And the computer just knows everything to do. And I found that as I sold that and I got into my McLaren, which has you know decent traction control, but it's rear wheel drive. And even the 720S actually has a dial on the car that you can dial in by swinging the car out how much drift the computers will allow you. No way. Oh my gosh, it's so cool. So you got a stock from the factory McLaren, 710 horsepower with a carbon fiber cell that makes it ultimately safe. And you can say, I want it to drift out three or four or five degrees. And I found the experience, the sound of the McLaren, even though that's a turbocharged eight, mine's got sport exhaust, but I found the driving experience um, just so much more enjoyable because I felt so much more attached to the car, whereas I felt detached from the GTR. It was comfortable. You could put a kit seat if you really wanted to jam it in the back, but it, it just was so perfect. And this, this sound of this turbocharged six, I get in the Mac and I just feel like I'm Ayrton Senna, but a lot. And, <laughs> well, well, and, well, and ripping the car. And, and it's just, it's it, got soul. And my, it, my, it, point, my point to that is, <laughs> you know, that is absolutely i used to do the same thing i used to do the same thing with my m3s i used to do the same thing with my <clears throat> i used to have uh back in my high school days hondas we used to modify those and do all those types of things today if you're a tesla owner you're basically going into an app and it's hey my car does you know 4.2 0 to 60 right now i want to take it to 3.7 pay tesla two thousand dollars and uh you know just change it out in the app and that's how you upgrade the car that's how you could upgrade your car with a tesla it's not the only way but yeah there is a bit of it's definitely a different consumer it's definitely a different person uh who's well, buying that car and i i think that's a great point well let, let me uh let me just throw something a little different for um for people with regular cars right and, and john i know exactly what you're saying um, probably the best automotive, um, one of my best automotive. And again, it, I was in high school, uh, had 1983 Mustang GT with the five liter that year. And I still have the brochure from it. 
that year they actually used a marine cam and to this day and my girlfriend at the time is my wife now we still talk about that engine at idle because because it had the marine cam and we're both big boat fans <laughs> it would just sit there and bubble it was it was just intoxicating it was incredible nothing better than a lumpy cam yeah but <laughs> but i have to say um one of our favorite cars <clears throat> was a fairly average car it had a six cylinder engine it was um a 1986 mercury cougar and if if, if you see the car it it had a very unique look in that it 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 was pretty sleek and then the back window came came down flush it came down flat and it, it had incredible lines and as silly as it sounds, it had the best paint job of any car I ever had. It was a, a dark, a really deep gold metallic that had an incredible shine on it. It had incredible, uh, some cars you get from the factory that are just great and some suck, <laughs> right? right. Um, this one was just incredible. The interior was just perfect. It was laid out so well. You just felt good in that car. And it had personality. So it's not, it, it, it doesn't have to be a supercar to make you happy, but it had personality and it had a soul. Yeah. And, you know, uh, a lot of what I'm starting to see now, especially with, um, you know, other car companies out there that, you know, we won't, you know, Tesla, putting Tesla on the side for a second. But when we start looking at other companies like Lucid Motors, um, or we start looking at other companies um, uh, that that are that are building larger, you know, Ford, General Motors. They're starting to build electric trucks. You know, I I wonder, you know, as uh, the bench gets deeper, as the bench gets deeper, and more people contribute to the the um, the electric car movement, let's call it. I'm wondering if that soul will come back because right now. You know, we're really looking at one incarnation of a car company who's really dominated for the last five years, and that's yeah. that's Tesla. Um, th there have been others on the fringe for sure, and I don't mean to, you know, exclude them from the conversation. But you know, let, let's just be honest. I mean, like ninety percent of the cars out there. I mean, I think there's an entire Nordic country that basically is is driving Teslas at this point. <laughs> uh, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick on those people, but um, you know. I'm wondering as the the bench gets deeper, is it is that soul going to come back? Well, so Can it? He, well, he, he, here here's here's where I think it can, but it's going to be really hard to. Right now, everything and John, you, were, you I think you made a, a great point with the Nissan GTR. It checks all the boxes. It is a fantastic car, but it's too perfect. Yep. A lot of electric cars, especially, I think they feel they have to make it feel high tech. They have to make it precise. Um, if you look at the storied cars throughout history, 
a lot of them kind of had a, they were mistakes or they were someone within the auto industry giving a middle finger to the actual automaker. Uh, and let me give you two examples. And John, I know you own one of these. Yeah. The year was 1973. Uh, had, United States was really in a shitty place. Oil embargo, starting to put catalytic converters, uh, just choking cars. And Pontiac did what? What motor did Pontiac come out with, John? They built the Super Duty 455. And you are correct. I own one. And that was the last bastion of true Detroit muscle. Uh, GM dropped its compression after 70, uh, Mopar and Ford after 71. And again, compression uh, and lumpy cams and things like that. And is the torque. That's that seat of the, the pants feel. Um, the interesting thing about the Super Duty is everybody knew, even at Pontiac, that it was going away. And I actually have a letter from Pontiac to my original owner uh, apologizing for the delay in the build of his 1974 because he tried to order a 73 at the end. So he got the very first formula of which they built very few, but it apologized for the delay in building because they were still working on getting the Super Duty 455 okay by the EPA for use in a passenger car. And I'll go you one better. People look at my car and it's a formula, but it has a shaker hood. Now, all the other formulas, you probably guys know the cool leading edge scoops on them. They have the Ram Airs. Right. And most of them weren't Ram Air. But when you look at those cars, same with GTOs, 95%, those were blocked off. People would open them up, but an actual Ram Air option, not to get technical, but it's very rare. But those were good looking leading edge scoops, albeit engineering wise, the, the lowest down center of air compression is up at the cowl. That's why it's Chevy, right. the cowl hood. Anyway, people are like, well, that's wrong. It should have this hood or this, that. But people, those of us in the know, is the reason that my car and only the Super Duty 455 formulas have a shaker hood is Pontiac didn't want to go back to the EPA and get the other hood approved for the Super Duty 455. <laughs> but that was definitely the last bastion of higher horsepower cars and legendary to this day. Only yeah, and, years. And, and that was so that was a middle finger when everyone's like, we got to make smaller cars. And they said, we're going to make the most powerful 455 we've ever made, right? The the other car that, that was storied um, was the Buick Grand National GNX. Yeah, baby. And, and th this one, so this was real interesting. And it's, it's, it's a wonder why they didn't go down this road. Uh, at a time when V8s were starting to come back in, in uh, 1987, uh, well, that was the advent of the small block V8, right? When Corvette started converting their cars over to the small block, you know, you, you're gonna you're gonna start seeing, but, yeah, a lot of they, that pop up. But and... that's when performance started coming back. Yeah, when they started figuring out how to, right? So, right. well, so they, the had, they had they had another they had another uh, reason to bring back this, you know, to use the small block V8, and that's cop cars. <laughs> right, right, and and so Chevy celebrities, uh, well, right. It, well, yeah, but see, so this, Caprices. this the the the, the Caprices, Regal, yeah, yeah, exactly, the the Regal GNX. Uh, so Buick had, and at the time, different divisions in GM made different engines. So they came out with, and I think it was one of the first intercooled uh, V6s. So when everything was V8, they came out with a V6. It was incredible power. 
but they only had an old body regal to put this engine in the regal t-type yeah and that was that went back to the 70s those that that, that right you could get a t-type late 70s right right so they came out with this monster engine the guy in charge of the regal program was i believe going to the corvette program and at the time there was a rule at gm you couldn't have any car that out accelerated the corvette yep so what did these guys do at Buick? They came out with a bigger horsepower, bigger intercooled uh, turbo version of the Regal. They called it the Regal Grand National GNX. Well, the first one was a Grand National. The GNX Grand special version, they only built 547 yeah. of. Right. And they came out with that, and it was quicker than, than the Corvette. I don't know if it was published as being quicker. George, it was the fastest production car in the world. It was faster than the Ferraris. Short of stuff that was way, way out of its price league, just a, a three series of mid-engine uh, V8 Ferrari, faster. It was the fastest car. And don't forget, you had the Grand National, and then the last hurrah was going to be the GNX, which used a bigger intercooler. And of course, these are all single turbo, so you get big rushes. And if you have ever driven one of those, make sure your car is pointed forward. was step <laughs> on the car. But what many people don't know is Pontiac took that same motor and for one year they put it in the 1989, what we call the TTA, the Turbo Trans Am, which pissed off Pontiac people who wanted a V8 because it was the Buick GNX engine, but it was balls fast. And back it was used to pace the Indy 500. It was the first car that did not need to be modified for on-track use because that car was so fast. And, and so with, with that engine, um, because it was put in such an old body, it actually had a limiter of 124 miles an hour in, in the Regal. Now, they did build a couple secret service cars that didn't have the limiter on there. And they, supposedly it was classified. But in the, but in the uh, Trans Am, that was the pace car version, and I think it's the 20th anniversary um it's white and gold uh i I believe that car did 155 miles an hour at at the time correct that that was a limited limited 155 mile an hour speed they were all white with tan interiors Uh, most were leather there were a few cloth and a few coupes of the hundred and some odd coupes which are more desirable than the t-tops personally i'd rather have uh the t-top and so but both these cars are examples of engineers and design teams that were kind of like, you can't be faster than the Corvette. Oh, really? Let me show you, right? (laughs) And and they had that rebellion. And and so the point of those two stories, I talk a lot, it's a long story, long long way to get there. Um, If you have teams that are allowed to be creative, you might be able to bring some soul into some of these electric cars, but right now everything's about perfection and, and, you know, just making things as um, safe and sterile as possible. And you're right there. And it will improve. And, and, you know, Tim said it earlier too, where, you know, it's an early stage and who knows where we're going to be, but I'll go back to me. And I know not everybody's an enthusiast, but quite a few people are more than you would think. And the bottom line is it, if it doesn't have the sound that's 50 to 30% of my soul right there, the yeah. way our sounds, when I fire it up, 
makes my heart race. When I put, you know, when I get into a Tesla and it backs up going, it, it, there's no soul. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like my boat. My boat's got a, you know, an 8.1 liter, 496 cubic inch monster V8. And there's nothing I like better out straight pipes with a big lumpy cam to hear go, that's the sound I want. <laughs> I smile just firing it up. I sometimes just, we'll be idling along. Sometimes I just have to accelerate because I want to hear the engine. And with an electric boat, I just, you, that part of the soul will never be there. Now the question becomes, will society get to the point where we have very few people who miss that 30%, that sound? And is this forced hand that we're kind of seeing the pushing towards the electric vehicle? You know, I have guys in my circles, and I'm not talking about just my circles that I personally talk to, but just on various social media pages, who are really concerned that we won't be able to get fuel, that we won't be able to run our vintage cars because we won't be able to get fuel. And to me, that starts to get police state because nobody has shown me, and I know the facts of it, is that electric cars just aren't that much greener than regular cars. Between the mining of the of the materials and the, the battery disposal and all those things, there's no real reason yet to completely eliminate them. Have them all day long, you know, let people choose, let the market dictate. Because, the you know, one of the things I learned in as 20 years as a trader on the floor is nobody's bigger than the market. You know, we had guys who tried to pull off frauds and come in and station people and they'd move the market and the market would move and they thought they're going to make all this money and sure as shit, the whole world comes in and it, it buys it up. The, nobody is bigger than any market. And that includes the car market, despite that push. Now, is does it sometimes need help? Yeah. Is it unfair that they get tons of subsidies when they're to me and I might be uh, in a 50-50 opinion or maybe in the minority? that it's almost a, a false narrative that electric cars are any better because we can't all do it for the grid and they're not really making less of an Im impact on the environment short of maybe sound, which people would say, I like the quiet until they go to cross the street and they didn't hear Tim and his Tesla who had had his <laughs> the whole time and bonks the lady in the kneecaps. Cause I'm now Tim, aren't some of these cars making sound now at yeah. Low Warm pedestrians. Yeah, they've had to actually, um, as you back up, and I believe it's, ooh, you know, I'm going to get some people who are mad at me. I believe it's 2019 and later, there was a speaker put in that actually makes a Jetson-like sound. Um, <laughs> my, I have I have a 2018. Mine does not do that, um, so thankfully. But, uh, yeah, it, it was like a Jetson-like sound without without the dog right exactly and uh it, to me it, it's always been kind of a a cute gimmicky thing but i have to agree with you i and and i and i and i've always thought this and that's you know you 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 do have a lot of people who have been modding these cars and i know you know people who have been modding the cars and and there there's a there's a pretty big following um in and around tesla that's not to be denied it's absolutely there but, you know, I was always wondering, you know, um, what happens when there's another bigger player out in the market? You know, um, you know, when George spoke to the proverbial middle finger, you know, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't too long ago when um, Elon was going around to Ford and General Motors and all these other companies pitching his idea. And people kind of brushed him off saying, you know. Um, this is probably not a very marketable idea. 
I, I who's going to get the last laugh? Well, he's already got it. He's laughing all well, the, to numerous banks just to avoid the FDIC insurance limits. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I have I, I have got a great idea. I say we get Elon on the show after after we get a little bit more popular. Bring John <laughs> on here, and we'll design a car with Soul. Yeah, I like it. And I, you can I think you can get to Soul. I just really think that. You know, before we started the show, one of the things Tim and I had in common was, of course, our our big audiophile, our love of sound and music. And I've always been a, a very, very visual person as well as a very uh, audio person. And I just don't know if you can ever get away from a love of that sound. I still, you know, one of one of my other weird whatever. I, will, I won't call it a hobby because I'm not as heavily into that. But in my living room at my lake house, I have a 1938 Evinrude Ranger and a 1948 Evinrude Speedy Twin in my living room sitting in there. And those are outboards. And uh, I have it just because it's the lake house and I like engines and everything else. But most people buy or relate to things that brings back memories or reminds yeah. things and such. And I can remember my family going to uh, Bass Lake, Michigan, just uh, just north of uh, Pentwater. And our, my parents' friends had a beautiful house and they had a rowboat with a six horsepower outboard Johnson. On. And to this day, you talked about the cam on the Stang. And I talked about, of course, the rumbling of my boat, which I love. The little putt-putt of that water, taking a pee in the water, cooling it off and just vibrating. And then to turn it up and watch the wake turn that brings back such wonderful memories for me. And, and on occasion, again, goofy me and Facebook groups, I'm on the antique outboard, you know, motor <laughs> of the United States. Of course States. you are. And, and some of these old dudes will put on a video and they just went and restored, you know, a Johnson 5.5 and the thing looks absolutely gorgeous. And then they fire it up and as beautiful as it looks and as well as it functions, it's all sound to me. Yeah. It, sound and it's that sound that visually if i was watching it it would look cool right and visually with sound it's amazing but just sound only i can picture the vision Didn't it's hard for me to see the sound or, and, or see the picture and envision the sound so i think it's just a it's just such a stimulating pleasure to have that audio of things and will electric cars ever have it because in the end, if they do, will it be fake? And by the way, my GTR had sound, albeit- speakers, right? Well, Porsche pipes in, I believe, fake sound, but I might be wrong. So Tim, if you get hate mail on that, tough shit. Yeah, um, no, right, exactly. <laughs> but the bottom line is my GTR, you could adjust how much of the exhaust came into the cabin, which I was all for it. You know, I, I if it wouldn't kill me with carbon monoxide, I'd take a pipe out the side and- have it hanging over <laughs> when you get to that point with electric cars yeah does it start to look like uh cgi does to me when i look at some films that i know for instance you know the ten commandments when i look at some films that aren't done with cgi and there's a just a a, a deeper richer soulful feeling than the fact that they can make a giant saber-toothed tiger go through New York and to attack a couple of buildings and fly and 14 cars do 12 flips and crash, as opposed to, you know, uh, 
what's the movie in San Francisco with Steve McQueen where he's chasing in the bullet? Uh, bullet, yeah. Where bullets, where they're ripping over that Mustang over the hills of San Francisco. <laughs> Granted, you saw the same Volkswagen and Pontiac Tempest <laughs> in the same scene. But to this day, the sound of that Mustang and the recording of that movie, that's indelible. The difference yeah. is kids aren't used to it. And one of the things you see in my angles of the hobby is that we strive with, you know, it's the whole bring a kid to a car show. And, you know, I always take the time to, to be with kids, to explain and to teach, let them hear, give rides, because the only time that soul will disappear is when you don't have access to it. Yeah. And within a generation or two, that could be gone. Not if my kid can help it. Cause I'm going to no. badass iron. I believe, well, and, and, I believe and, it was uh, George Lucas who said, um, you know, sound is 50% of the movie, right? Well, and he's right. Yeah. And, and by the way, by the way, George Lucas says one of his favorite sports is Formula One. In fact, he typically puts the introduction of his latest film on the Formula One car for the Monaco Grand Prix. But you'll you'll see George at F1 races fairly often. Of course, cameras are going to go to him right away. And rest assured, it's 50 percent sound. And that backs up what Tim just said, that he's always said that it's it's half of a film is sound. And that's made me fall in love with Laserdisc. People have forgotten about the you know, surround sound being involved in that so early on. It blew people away. Now, if you go to a movie, you're disappointed if buildings <laughs> are blowing up and your seat isn't vibrating so your popcorn's on your lap. Yeah. Well, and, and it's it's funny because, um, I, it, and this just shows that I have the greatest wife in the world. Um, I <laughs> plug. I I thought I thought the Daytona 500 was going to be next week. My wife was the one that said, "Hey, you know, Daytona 500 is this week," and we watch a race. Um, and I'm a big NASCAR fan, and and we were talking about that. <laughs> and I've been to I've been to several races, and there is nothing like it's it's the sound, but it, it's you know, I was one year uh, I was on uh, on the uh, on the inside like like almost track level, but one year I think we went to the inaugural Brickyard 500. At, in, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Only NASCAR race I've ever been to. This is the second year of that when Jeff Gordon won. And so we were in the upper deck and it was rain delayed. And when the cars came out, the rumble of those cars, you got, you got what, 40 cars, um, all straight piped V8s. You could, I shit you not, you could feel the heat coming from the cars in the upper deck. It was amazing. And it's the sound. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it, but it's, it's, it is the sound because it penetrates you. Your you body, you feel, feel it, it in yes. your chest. You can't, NASCAR to me, um, you know, and if you watched, and I watch, I always, the one race I'll watch a little bit because it essentially, I think the Rolex kicks off the race season. But for <laughs> the average fan, it's, it's the Daytona 500. And they now do the turn it ups where Mike, yeah. whoever's doing it, they shut their traps and they put a little, you know, boom box in the corner with, you know, LED meters and they tell you to turn it up. And there's nothing better than what's called the speed shot, which is a still camera. And the car is like, <laughs> and that's cool as shit. But I will challenge you with this. And I don't mean to get on a tangent, not that we haven't been on 86 of them this evening. <laughs> if you go watch sports car racing, which is, you know, third or fourth down the food change as far as being loved. 
when there's multiple classes, five classes of vehicles, mm. is V8s, V10s, and you know other eras V12s, to sit on the front straight of Daytona back in the day before people were getting killed too much by being close to the fence. And I still have videos from my early, you know, it's probably a flip phone, but I still have videos where I was standing next to the fence and there was nothing cooler than hearing the VET V8 go by, hearing a prototype eight go by, then hearing a whaling six from a 911 go by, and then a different, all these different sounds is even more, I, I don't even know what word, it's more orgasmic for me. Yeah. That same sound you hear from NASCAR, hearing in different things. But if you had to say, what are your two top two favorite things about going to race? I got to think the sound and the roar of the cars is, is yeah. there. Yeah, yeah especially especially if you're an F1 fan. Right, well, F1, that well, that used to be the, the schnizzle. Yeah. Well, and, and, and to, to tell you, kick out of, go ahead, George. Uh, well, to tell you what, how, how big a deal sound is uh, in terms of boats, I think it was, I don't know if it was Interceptor or um, there was a brand of boat. Offshore? Uh, no, it, well, it was a, it was like a, maybe a 24 footer. Okay. It, so it wasn't quite, you know, uh, seaworthy, like, like a big lake boat. There was um, a Baja Outlaws, a very famous 24 foot hole. Yeah. And it, it was, it was that in that vein. Uh, but this manufacturer had a, an option standard from, from the factory, something called captain's choice exhaust. Yeah. Sure. Still, so, still out there. So uh, what, what that did is you could either run it quiet or you could prop. run it through the prop, which is quiet, or you could run through hull exhaust, which gives you that bubbly. Oh, it's, it's just <laughs> chewy. It's delicious. It's, oh. So you, do, you, do you know I ran a thousand horsepower offshore formula on Lake Michigan for about 13, 14 years. Once again, 100% of it was sound. Um, I didn't have... Uh, there's a couple names. There's Island Choice is one brand, and uh, Captain's Call is another that puts it through the the uh, oh, okay through, or through the drive. But that sound is, I mean, to me, that sound is when I ran my offshore boat. To me, I could I could be floating four miles offshore in Lake Michigan and have the loop on and a cold one in my hand, <laughs> popping in the waves, and I could hear a sound, and I knew. It was twin big blocks as I could hear them go just in and out of harmonization at the perfect RPM and the sound of some dude's boat five miles away. Yeah. Hair stand up on end. And I'm sitting on a, a wicked twin HP 500 offshore boat that made beautiful music. I mean, it's just music. An electric boat in an offshore capacity, that's just not going to feel the same. Yeah. Uh, I, I know. I know. And um, I think so. I think we figured quick, a couple of things out there's, here. There's no, there's no time limit, <laughs> but you know, at some point. Uh, but, but, well, well, we did. But, but uh, again, one of the, um, again, one of the things that annoys me about the, the forced electrification of, of cars. Right. Um, again, I really, I, I would like people to be smart enough to have, real conversations about environmental impact and what's the one area that is always always left out of the conversation is jet airplanes oh 
Yeah, I mean it, th- that could be it, a completely different show, but no, I, no, I, yeah. I know. But 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 what I'm saying is, we're 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 putting all these resources, we're putting all these changes, um, all these uh, all this money into forcing electrification of of cars, right? And uh, I found an, an unlikely source that that kind of proved the point. Uh, the the OG Greta Thunberg. Mm-hmm. Um, actually made a really interesting point because there's uh, during the pandemic there's something that's been happening called ghost flights and ghost flights are airlines I was on one run- were you really? yeah ghost flights I don't know what it is tell me what it is so ghost flights are flights that are sometimes completely empty that airlines have been flying because the airports haven't changed their process of requiring so many flights into their airport every day to keep your gate. Interesting. So um, Greta looked this up and I think in, I don't know if it was, I think it was Sweden over, over the course of a year, they had three thousand ghost flights with no one on it it doesn't most of them don't even carry cargo so it's it's strictly to keep their gates and the calculation was these ghost flights three thousand flights were equivalent to the yearly output of a hundred and thirty thousand cars yeah nobody complains about that and no and where do i live george right yeah right in that shadow right I've, I've, I've grown up here. I've lived in the city for many years, but I've lived in Park Ridge for 20 years and I'm on the, the south, southern end. I can practically wave to people and people are like, how can you stand it? And to be honest, I'm like used to it. And they're much quieter yeah. um, than they were when we were kids, um, especially when it's like four degrees out. You can barely hear them because. Oh, so- yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, but but the, the noise isn't the issue that the issue is. Emissions. And, and, well, the emissions and we saw it. We, we I don't know if they publicized it over COVID, but after 9-11, for that week or 10 days, whatever it was, that they that they stopped all air, really uh, any kind of flying for, from the airlines, they saw a noticeable change in the actual temperature got a little colder. And it makes sense with thousands of flights going up, you're basically putting tens of thousands of blast furnaces in the atmosphere yep. burning all this fuel, but no one wants to look at it because lobbies and, and all this other stuff. It's My a point, tougher code. It's a tougher code to crack too. Well, it is, but how, how comfortable would you feel in an electric jet? Understood John. But, <laughs> but if, 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 but if, if we're, if we're going to throw the green blanket over this thing, right that look at the biggest look at your big fish first um and so uh, electric cars again all right good we're going forward with it but don't throw that green blanket over it because it's it's not there yet yeah you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of people that are gonna push back really hard and say yeah but you know what the electric cars are not spewing you know uh carbon you know carbon monoxide into the air and you know it's it's a different for me eh that's one point, but 
you know, it's a different type of uh, pollution, right? To John's point, we got to put the batteries someplace after you junk the cars, right? Um, but well, and, and, and Tim, Tim, where I live, so there used to be a nuke plant. I live in northern Illinois. There used to be a nuke plant right here in, in Zion. They shut it down. What's taking it's what's what's powering this area now are two coal fired plants. And there's actually a cancer cluster. You can go. It's very clear from these coal fired plants of seeing respiratory illnesses, uh, asthma, all these other things. If you follow the plumes from where these things go, that's yeah. part of it. Also, you're burning coal, which is dirtier than than gasoline. Yeah, coal is horrible. And so, yeah. So it's part of a bigger conversation. You know, my point is, is, this is part of a bigger conversation. So if you're going to do it, have the bigger conversation and be able to, you know, be able to have the conversation and, and just a bigger point. We have to be able to actually debate things, not scream over each other and, yeah. and, and, and just say how horrible somebody doesn't agree with me is. Debating is actually really healthy and kind of fun if it's done right. Um, and, and that's how you get stuff done is by debating, not by pounding stuff down people's throats. I agree. Well, yeah. I'll post, I'll pose a question to the two of you across that vein. Um, I think the debate would be much more reasonable if the goal of the electric car supporters, fanatics or whatever wasn't complete domination and elimination of something that's working and especially prematurely. When there's so many, you know, I don't, I know very few people that are combustion engine or ice fans that say they don't want electric cars or people can't have electric cars or they're worried about the batteries or they're worried about the boron mining or they're worried about the coal fired plants that have to supply the electricity. You don't hear any of that. You, you All you hear is just let me keep my car until you can really prove that I'm wailing on the environment because everything I've seen and I look at both sides, which again, I don't know if everybody's doing that is I've yet to see. And I've looked at multiple studies from multiple angles. I am one of these guys who wants every angle. I'll watch MSNBC. I'll watch Fox. I, you know, I want to know what everybody's saying. And the bottom line is nobody, even to this point where we've come a long way in the last four or five years, Nobody has convinced me that going all electric is better than, for the environment than being partial electric or no electric at all. You're just trading one evil yeah. to the next. And until that doesn't happen, you know, what's, you know, what's the problem with letting them both fly? And if anything, it's kind of the old adage where um, if you were a company and you had two guys come to you with an idea you really, it didn't behoove you to say, I'm picking George's idea, Tim, go jump in the lake. Right. What is, is Tim, you go build your shit, George, go build yours and let's see how they both do. So I, I think some of the pushback on the debate is the squelching of one side saying, yeah. no, you evil carbon burning SOB, put your archaic vehicle away and get with the program and get electric. And right as they say that the lights go off because too many people plugged into the <laughs> Right. Well, or, I can I can say I can say this, and that's uh, for me at least driving a Tesla. Um, and I'm with you, John and, and George. I I don't disagree with you guys at all. I love you know I really miss 
driving manual transmission. <laughs> I really miss driving a stick. I, I, I think one of the best, one of the most fun cars I've ever driven was a 911 manual. Um, I'll digress for, for a moment, though, and say for me, um, it came down to an economics thing. Um, you know, I happened to buy a Tesla right at the right time where yeah. used, used car companies, uh, and I bought my Tesla used. Um, didn't really know how to... Sure. Yeah, didn't really know how to buy or didn't really know how to sell a used Tesla. It was kind of uh, about two <laughs> two years ago at this point now, um, a year and a half, right? And they were trying to figure it out. And yeah. um, for me, it was an economics thing. I mean, I feel about my my fiance's you know uh, German Volkswagen, and it cost me sixty dollars to fill it up with premium gas. I go and fully charge my car and my car has a you know a range of right around 300 miles and it cost me i think 14 dollars right so it 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 boiled down to an economics uh requirement more than anything else right and they and again they they do there's basically some equations you can do which looks at the cost of an electric vehicle over uh, a combustion engine vehicle and gas has to be at a certain level. And I can tell you right now, gas is at such a level that it makes an electric car more economical. Gas is at a, I was actually, a, as a financial advisor, I, I read a lot of different things on the economy. And I was reading today about um, shale and domestic oil manufacturing is beginning to kick up again. Now they're not leveraging because that burnt them when prices drop. Mm-hmm. These companies aren't leveraging, they're being smarter about it. but. There's always points of inflection where something stretches out, where the spread gets so wide that, and again, that's nobody's bigger than the market. So those things come together. So while Tim is is lamenting at the $60 uh, cost of filling up her Wolfsburg produced, you know, German car, which I like, right now it is more economical. For me, um, that is the cost of admission. Because if I wanted to be, if economics were my big thing, obviously I wouldn't drive or own what I own because I don't get good gas mileage. And, and I and I will before I get, you know, or you get, who gets the, the evil mail? I want to see evil mail. Before the, <laughs> you know, you fossil fuel burning SOB. One of the things, and you wouldn't think this given my background and my pursuit of speed and, and such, but as I drive back and forth to Wisconsin, which I do just about every weekend, I make it a game just about every time to get the best fuel economy possible. Like I'm on cruise, there's gauges in my car that tell me how much coasting I'm doing, how much accelerating I'm doing and how steady my throttle is. And I lit there, I literally sit there and play. I'll get in my girlfriend's car. I'm like, nice average mileage. I'll like bust your chops. And I'm like, let's see what I can do. Even though you, you're, my sample size is going to be small because you've been driving one. Let's see if I can move your needle by not driving like Mario Andretti, who's one of her idols, and she likes to drive like him sometimes. <laughs> and um, dra- do you draft trucks? Well, I'll tell you what, I will. I do. I draft people. I, mean, <laughs> I do. I, I do. That. I absolutely. I absolutely <laughs> use the draft. And if I can, if I can hook up to a draft of a car and match its speed with cruise, my car, I can watch it drop a couple hundred RPMs to maintain yeah. that same speed. And I get off on that. Now, that's the same reason I love Formula One, because it's a high-tech sport. Um, but it's not like all of us who like to burn fuel burn it irresponsibly. Um, but I definitely make the choice that when I pull in, 
with one of my cars that gets under 10 miles a gallon when I'm driving them hard and I have multiple, I know that that's my cost of admission. Right. And I know I'm going to buy premium, which by the way, we could have a whole nother show on, on misunderstanding octane and premium gas. But uh, I can see, that, but a lot of people are willing to pay that for that privilege of driving a fuel car. Oh yeah. So yeah, I, I, sure. I have a, I have a question for both of you guys. Um, I'm scared. I believe the average car in the U.S. is over 10 years old. I think it's 12 years old. Most people will not be able to afford a new Tesla. Um, most people don't buy new cars. That's why the used car, you know, used car market is huge. Where does this go um, with electric cars and batteries and things like that? Um, when I was talking about the range for electric cars, the one idea that came to my mind, and I think would help the longevity of electric cars, because the battery is one of the big um, is the big cost points, right? Um, and famously, a guy blew up his Tesla because he had a $22,000 battery pack that went or something like that. Um, but it's the batteries. They have a life. And one of the things I thought, Americans in particular, especially someone that drives like I do with long distances, we don't want to wait around for two hours to recharge our battery. Kind of Which will improve. Right. Well, it will. But my thought was this. What if we handled it like a radio-controlled car and had battery packs you could pop in and out? I think that's already been bandied about. Tim, you might know more than I do, but I, I think there's already discussions about being able to pull into a station and have a compartment at the belt line or wherever, you know, at the uh, bottom of the car where most of the batteries sit for weight distribution and be able to slide out a lithium-ion, charge it, for the next guy and you put in his. So a battery exchange is, is yeah. Yeah. what you technically call it. Um, yeah, and there's actually new battery technology that is coming out that, you know, obviously you'd be able to charge much quicker, much faster. Um, there's more denser types of batteries that, you know, are in the works. Um, and, you know, as those emerging technologies come to the forefront of the market, you know, a lot of that's going to, you know, it's going to kind of... It's going to kind of fizzle away, but for right now, it's a perfectly good point. I mean, I have to sit, I have to sit at a Tesla station when I need to go and, you know, even on a 250 kW charger, right? Um, I have to sit there and wait uh, 20 minutes, 30 minutes for my car to charge. But hopefully when these newer batteries come out, um, that will be, that will be kind of addressed. Yeah, See, that seems like an eternity for me. When I pull it, I pull the same gas station on my way to Wisconsin, I get the lower prices because i'm not taxed enough like i am in illinois and i treat it like i'm you know borderline indy 500 where i'm ready to go zap cars in nozzles up set on it go inside get my diet do come out it's just finished up i can be in and out of a gas station in typically four minutes with 20 gallons of fuel and when you're doing a drive every weekend like george said he puts on a ton of miles people in the city aren't doing that that's why electric vehicles are great for them but for me that would be when you add it up over a period of, of your life, that's a lot of time sitting there. Now the bogey's moving, like we said, and, and Tim just said that 
the tech is moving fast and it's it's going to get better but you have to sit for 20 yeah yeah and and that that specific battery that i'm uh referring to is called a 4680 ev battery it's being produced by panasonic for um uh for tesla and i believe you're going to be getting or realizing about 20 percent uh more efficiency out of the battery okay yeah Right, which will improve by leaps and bounds. And part of it is because, again, they're pushing that. If you if you spent the same amount of time, dollars, and government subsidies, of which there are a shitload, mm-hmm. and improving some of the emissions or continued efficiency of, of gasoline engines, which have gotten to be amazing, would you get similar results? And again, is that not fair to push so hard for one thing why not let the market decide and let the dollars flow where they flow? Right. Because it will. And they're they're getting the technology. Um, you know, I don't know how, how much longer you're going to do this, but one thing that we haven't addressed yet, um, and it might be a I'm trying to fill up your you know inbox with people. <laughs> Thanks, man. Is uh is fire. You know, they they there's issues, there's towing issues with these cars just. You know, people say, well, you can put it in neutral, but you might not always be able to do that. But these batteries are known to combust to the point where storage lots for tow companies are, are building. They have to build individual pens for these cars to sit in because they can catch on fire. And then, of course, you know, the the armchair quarterback keyboard warriors are like, oh, gas cars can burn, too. But here's the difference. One, the frequency of a gas car burning, something's got to go wrong. It's typically got to be running, have fuel spilling or whatever. Whereas an electric car, they can just generate a ton of heat and have any kind of shorting or issues. Here's the other thing. And and I'm going to read from this because I I wrote this down earlier, so I'd be prepared about it. But if they catch fire, it's typically two hours and five to 6,000 gallons of water from our beautiful environment and greenness. Put that Whereas a gas fire is 25 to 30 minutes and 500 gallons. That's more than 10 times harder, longer, more expensive and harder on the environment to put out a car that seems to catch on fire more than others. And the people at Fisker who had problems say, well, it's not that common. It's not that common. But I bet you if somebody took the time and maybe they did to do a study of how many electric cars are out there and how many ice cars are out there and what the you know what the fire per hundred thousand vehicles is and i'd be very curious and that becomes another environmental thing is it causing more damage what happens to these batteries when they burn what's that going into the environment is that superheating the environment you know what happens to the fact that you're occupying firemen for two hours instead of a half an hour that's four times longer what happens to our precious water that we've been worried about water going away that we're using five to six thousand gallons versus 500 where's that argument yeah well in in to to date this podcast as we speak the uh the volkswagen container ship i thought you were gonna bring that up i knew it here it goes (laughs) that, that 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 has all those cars burning they said one of the reasons that they they it's hard to get under control is they do have electric vehicles on there and they think that that is contributing to the fire suppression trouble that they're having. It's not even think, it's a fact that those fires burn hotter and are there, you know, it's difficult to keep those cool, but once they start to burn, they burn hotter and they burn faster. 
which from the people I've heard various discussions about that very ship, and of course you probably saw me post it, um, sadly, because there's some Bentleys and Porsches on there. Not that I don't love uh, every kind of car, because I do, and if you love it, I love it. Um, and I don't mean you, I'm, I'm talking about car people in general. Um, I, I may be a purist, but I'm not a snob. But they couldn't put this fire out, and they couldn't suppress it with their automatic systems, and I would offer it up to EVs. That's I've heard the same thing. I've heard that. So mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> um. So um, it, I don't know. Did did we answer the question in terms of twelve year old cars? The the average person who can't afford a new car would you? I'd be very hesitant to buy a electric vehicle that has a hundred thousand miles on it or that's five years five or six years old tim um you're looking at about um you're looking at about a uh one percent one percent degradation of a uh, of battery per year per electric car so if it's 12 years old you're going to be able to charge it to about 80 86 88 percent but what's the life of a battery unknown we haven't gotten there yet <laughs> wow well, but we're, we're having to dispose of some of them because that's one of the issues. And again, as the technology um, increases across numerous factors, um, one of them is going to be recycling of these batteries, which right now they're really, they're really struggling with that. And hopefully that becomes something more of a, uh, an issue that goes by the wayside because they can figure out besides throwing them in Africa, what to do with these batteries. And to your point about length of, of ownership in cars and cost, you've, you know, the argument's gonna be, and if I didn't make it, I'm sure Tim was about to make it, as economies of scale increase and technology increases by law of normal manufacturing um, and regulation, et cetera, the price of the car should come down to make it more affordable for the average Joe. Well, well they, they should, but my, you know, so you bring up an interesting point about um, disposing of the electric car. Well, that's the biggest problem. But that's probably not going to be free. No, of course it isn't. And so, and so think of the life of a normal car. It starts out with someone that can most afford it. And end of life is in the person that could least afford it. Who has to pay to recycle it. They can barely afford the car in some cases. I've been there. I mean, I'm sure you have too. You've had beaters where you're like, oh man, you know, I, I got to just dump this car, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> I got so many miles on it or whatever. Yeah, I've never been there, but I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, the, but I, I mean, think about the cars you see, John, that are on the road that you know aren't maintained well that are, are running on ball tires, that these people absolutely need a mode of transportation. What are they going to do? Take the electric bus. Yeah. But they can't, right? But, but here's, here's what I, you know what I'm seeing in my head is the most famous and longest running commercial in television history for Victory Auto Wreckers. Yeah, yeah. You get cash for your car and the guy's kicking that old car is worth something. And he's kicking his fender and you get 200 bucks. Pretty soon it's going to be that old car will cost you 500 to get rid of. And then what happens? Do people start dumping? We already have issues with illegal dumping. Are we going to have graveyards of cars? Can you take the batteries out and put them back in? Because 
there's been no corrosion or deterioration of the main car and it only becomes battery recycling. But I don't see people recycling batteries for free. Right. Now, there might be some elements to get out of it after it's done. I don't know. This is how it's all going to be figured unless out. The, un, unless the government subsidizes it. Okay, but the, when the government subsidizes, the government has no way, and our country would run way better if people would wake up and figure this out. The government doesn't make any money. It I takes money from I, us. I, I know. It doesn't I, John, make a nickel. So I don't care where it's coming from. And this is the problem you have with these kids. They're like, well, stay home and pay me. And the government should take care of all our needs, food and car and shelter. And, and who's going to pay for that? So somebody is paying that subsidy and that somebody is the guy who pays a lot of taxes and buys the Tesla and gets to enjoy the first life thing. And not everybody's motivated the same. Not everybody wants to work extra hours, harder, take more risk to get to that level. Agreed. And do that. So, you know. Well, and and, and here, here's, here's a, a perfect example. Look at the luxury car market. So look at your, your, BMWs, your Mercedes, uh, your Audis, right? What you can buy a five or six year old German car very, very cheaply. Maintenance is expensive, but absolutely. Be because, and that's exactly why. And if you talk to anyone at a car dealership, you're like, holy shit, that's a seven series or a five series or whatever. Why For is that price? Right. And, and it's because, well, the people that buy it don't understand what the maintenance is of it. And so then they get in bigger disrepair. Is it going to be something similar with electric cars? Yeah. And I, wow. I, I, I actually hate commenting on um, maintenance for electric cars because we don't, you know, there's not enough data. I, I don't believe you're that absolutely right. Right. You're, you're right. But I, I can say this though. Um, you know, a couple things, you know, as far as maintenance is concerned, um, you know, there's, there's two motors on a, on a three, right. On, or at least on, on many of the threes, like the, the three long range or the, the S uh, you know, there's, there's uh there's only two motors and you know, what else is going to go really wrong on them? I mean, the, the, the drivetrain has got, you know, what 500,000 mile warranty on it. Um, so they, they know that uh, you know, the, the, there's a lot less that can go wrong on those cars. You know, oh, I, Tim, I, I agree. You know, my, my thought goes to this. Um, you've got a single mother who can spend $6,000 on a car. Oh, absolutely. It goes back once to what I, you, yep. once everything goes electric, yep. there are going to be electric cars that are $6,000. Right. What if something goes wrong? Right. And that, and so here's the knack of the premium uh, the premium European cars. Okay. I can buy a seven series for $15,000. It'll be older. Right. But when I go get that car repaired, I am repairing a $90,000 car. I'm not repairing a $15,000 yeah, car. For sure. And so, and so the parts are the parts of a $90,000 car, which someone that bought it probably is not prepared to pay for it. right and and i'm thinking of someone like a single mother that needs transportation once these cars get old and you're right we don't have the data so we don't have the answer i'm worried about will those people be able to isn't that personal responsibility george shouldn't you understand people you know, how many people do you think come to to guys like us and ask for help buying a car 
you know, whether it's a, a single mother or whether it's a guy who just isn't into cars or whatever, and I'm going to teach them those things. And if you don't go in knowing what you're doing and thinking that you're, you know, you're getting something for free or discount, you're always going to pay the piper somewhere. Right. So um, I never buy a new car ever. I've, the only time I bought one um, was because they were going the M3 convertible the first year, the SMG, uh, the E31, I think it was, Tim. Um they were going for over sticker and a friend of mine, Joe Perillo in the city is a, a Beamer dealer. And, and he took care of me. Other than that, I always buy a used car, but in doing that, I know dang well by research and asking other people what my expenses are. And that's when you have to do the math and you can't get suckered in. And when we start coddling everybody and having that control of not letting people make mistakes, then people just make more of them. It's like, oh, you know, oh, I, I, I agree. My, my point was, so once we go, once there are no more gas cars and it is all electric. I hope I'm dead. Ooh, I, should, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I'll die now. <laughs> Wait, knock on wood. I've just kept the world. God, anybody, please don't kill me. Please. God, don't kill me. That's great. Um, but, but what I'm saying is, is then someone like a single mother, someone that's, barely hanging on financially won't have a choice but to maybe buy something that is not sustainable i don't know that because we don't have the data right well and 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 maybe they'll have to get resourceful and, and i'm not talking about like ripping out the bottom of the car and doing fred flintstone but uh, there's there's where there again i'm such a free market person and i'm such a laissez-faire i i want things to go as they go and where there's a need and a demand or problems you find that business industry and minds and hard work will solve that problem. Better yeah. than to quote Ronald Reagan, the worst words you can ever hear is I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Because I the agree. government can spend hundreds of million dollars to test, you know, the, the cap on a bottle of ketchup was always the famous analogy, but my thoughts, just like the economies of scale will work um, and work out is when we get to that point, first of all, hopefully they haven't been stupid enough to go all electric for the sake of being all electric, because it's a false narrative to say that it's so much better than gas, because it just isn't. I mean, we've, we've talked about it ad nauseum, and Tim, who sits here and, and owns one of the best electric cars you can have, agrees that, you know, for every, you know, chunk of emission that I use, and he gets to be cheaper when he fills up with fuel, but then he's got batteries on the way out and he's got boron mining and I'm drilling for oil. There's just no way to go completely electric. But if it did, or if it gets to that point, I rely on the fact that something will happen because I can tell you that if I was a, a young buck full of entrepreneurial drive like I was when I was younger, and I saw the need for the single woman and the fact that electric cars had come down the pike and now they were struggling to get, I would create something. I would with yeah. great, yeah, no, it's like an Elon Musk. I would figure out a way for exchanges or zip cars like we have now, all those things. But as soon as we start letting the government mandate and make that choice and say, you will be better. Right now, I agree. Not burn fossil fuel, you evil fossil fuel burner. You know, <laughs> then I want to throw them in a boron pit with a bunch of little kids digging up stuff or I want to lay them on a hot pack of batteries in a recycling pit and say, hey, you know, suck on this, Mr. Government. Let the, you know, let the Elon Musks of the world 
figure out what we're going to do. Because wherever the, the beauty of um, the world and America especially is wherever there's been an issue or a problem or a need or an opportunity, we've always found a way to solve it. Hey, hey, John, you're being a little generic on what you're saying. I was wondering if maybe you could be a little <laughs> bit more specific. <laughs> I, I, I do want to set the I do want to set the uh, the record straight on a couple of things um, just for other listeners and other people who may be out there, you know, saying, well, this doesn't damage really control. Make... Yeah. Well, no, not damage control. But, you know, um, there, there obviously are reports that have come out, you know, even and I'm kind of. Uh, you know, referring to a Forbes report uh, back on October 4th, 2021, which wasn't too long ago, um, that did report International Council on Clean Transportation, which is an international council. It isn't uh, a council that's, you know, based and influenced by, you know, North America, China, South America, Europe. You know, they they do basically say, you know, that, you know, uh, EVs pollute less than gas or diesel cars not just on a daily basis, but over the vehicle's lifetime, including extracting raw materials from Earth, producing the vehicle, and running the vehicle, and disposing of the vehicle over its lifetime. And what we'll do is we'll make sure, because we want to make sure that everyone's you know, uh, views are, are you know, represented here, we'll make sure that in the, uh, um, in the notes of uh, this podcast that that, uh, you know, that documentation and that articles there. And, and, you know, to your point, John, and it was also to, to, uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, a point that you made earlier, you know, there was when they, when they invariably cite this report, they're talking about, you know, climate impact. They're talking about climate impact in different regions and what that means to different, you know, regions of the planet. So Europe, a 66% reduction, U.S., a 68% reduction, China, a 45% reduction. Basically, what it means is we all consume our products differently globally. And, you know, this report takes that into consideration. So just wanted to throw it out there. Okay. No, I like it. And I'm, I'm, and I'm guessing, Tim, that there's more than just the Forbes article, because, again, I've seen it uh, and I read them because I like both sides. But I, I will say that I, I don't know. I just haven't seen a preponderance that direction because for every Forbes article that makes the statement, which is a pretty bold statement that yes, EV cars hurt the environment less. You're going to be able to pull five or 10 that go the other way and say, no, they don't. I, that the emissions doesn't make up for the disposal of the batteries and the, you know, whatever the situation is. I'm not saying one is right or wrong. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, no, and I'm not saying that you're, I'm just saying there there are going to be naysayers out there on both sides. Yep. And we're, yep. I'm just, I'm I'm making it equal just so people understand. We are aware of those articles. We are aware of what has been written in popular, you know, uh, you know, uh, it, news outlets and so forth and so on. Just throwing it out there in the ethos. No, no, that's fair. Yeah. You know, it's fair because uh, the one thing that we, we really um, support on this show is people be independent thinkers. Absolutely. And we want, we, we, we don't want anyone to take, um, we are strictly apolitical. We don't have an agenda. We want to learn. And the best way to do that is to get your hands on as much information as possible. Um, and I think one of the, uh, the one thing that that's, comes out of this that's that's hitting me out of this entire conversation 
is we are kind of going down a path right now with electric vehicles being kind of forced. But as long as the market still has a say, it will turn out okay. Agreed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. As long as the market ha- has a say. And and I think people will, will dictate that. Um, and and the actual power and in, in, in part of that market is the overall experience with it the um the driving experience the the riding experience the safety the all that stuff and um and i think it starts with us meeting with mr musk and develop uh, there already is a kia car called the soul so we'll have to come up with a new name uh maybe the timster I'm going with Timster. <laughs> oh Lord, no! <laughs> the Tesla Timster. Hey, the Tesla Timster. Nice. Oh, that's a good model. That's some good model name, the Tesla. <laughs> but but I do I do I do agree with John, and that is, man, do I miss the sound of, oh, I miss the sound of my driving a 911 and and driving the the BMW the M3 that I had. Well, well, which, I'll tell you what, Tim. Yeah. When um, if you come in, uh. When, when it gets a little warmer, John, if you're up for it, uh, oh, come on I, I, I'll bring Tim to Garage Mahal. <laughs> Absolutely. Garage Mahal loves visitors and loves to give rides. Just bring clean undies. Um, <laughs> it's funny. One, one of the other things, you know, we're talking about letting the markets dictate and not pushing one off to the other. It's kind of either the best man win or personally. Um, and I think both of you agree with us and, and who knows what the letters and emails and fans of the show will say. But I think they can coexist. I yeah. just don't think there needs to be an elimination. And, uh, you know, demographically, again, I go back to the fact that I read, and it's not like I'm trying to plug Auto Week, but Auto Week is a buy, well, it's now it's Auto Buy Week. But it, it is a very timely publication because it comes out, you know, stuff isn't written months in advance because it comes mm-hmm. out every two weeks. And for the last, know, almost a decade, they really talk about how, Kids are getting their licenses later. People were made. Oh, yeah. My kid didn't get his license until he was like 16 and a half. You know, I was on Elston Avenue getting my license two hours after I turned 16. Amen. And 96 Volari with a 318 that looked like a cop car. And we won't even go into the magnetic light we had in high school. <laughs> plugged into the cigarette lighter. But the the point is they, they find that Generation Q or whatever this generation is that's a couple generations behind ours is what's important to them isn't sound. And what's important to them isn't range. What's important to them is connectivity. What's important to them is tech that relates to their Xbox. You know, Tim said he's not comfortable uh, with an autonomous driving car, and I don't blame him, but I guarantee you, if you talk to half the 16-year-olds, they just assume play Xbox while the car drove them to their next destination. Or like you said, you know, you call your car over, to drive you to that destination or play or play xbox and not go to that destination right well i prefer they do that so they don't kill me with their autonomous vehicle but the the demographics are going to change and that will help electronic vehicles or will it because the bottom line is all that technology can still go into a gas car so it comes back now to those generation yz pdqs being more into connectivity, and they got to have an environmental bent. I'm doing better for the environment. Um, I'm doing my part by not burning fuel because the tech can really 
short of the tech that actually drives the multiple motors and the, the, the technical end that Tim understands better than the two of us on the electric side is great in there, but the, the tech to be Apple CarPlay and all the different things your car can do. You know, right now I'm in a, a I set a, a loaner car and it doesn't have, and none of my cars except for my daily have uh, automatic dimming brights. And you get, you get used to that. And I was driving home from the office today down Bell Plain. I'm like, why is this guy flashing me? Well, because I was blinding with my bright. <laughs> I'm used to them turning off automatically. And I gave him the wave by like, oh, sorry, I'm a doofus. Um, but that tech will be there. And it becomes, again, a question of letting the market decide. And if indeed this generation and the generations to follow, driving isn't as much of an interest to them unless they're introduced to it because the influence of where where we are and what we have. And as that influence includes more and more the option of electrified and the option of autonomous driving, that becomes different areas where people now can spend their brain, energy, love, effort, time, or whatever. So those of us on the other side are trying to make sure that it doesn't die without a fair shot. And fair shot is not forcing it out because as much as kids like, you know, the electric drive and all the technology, if I put them in one of my muscle cars and drop the clutch at 3000 RPMs and drive sideways for half a block with tire screeching, you can't wipe the smile off their face. You're right. I wanna, they, get in, they get into a car and they, and they touch their iPod and they can watch their, you know, Xfinity streaming from the car while they're doing their homework in three different languages and nobody's doing anything that becomes attractive too, but it's all what you see. It's like music. It's familiarity. The more you listen to a song, the more you like it. I want to ask John a, a question because he's, you know, he's enthusiast and we know that he collects a lot of cars. Mm-hmm. So what happens if the electrified uh, movement, uh, you know, they always say the, uh, you know, uh, what is it? What is that saying? The, um, uh, the mother of all invention is, uh, what necessity is, necessity is the mother of all invention. Yep. Thank right. you. So what, what happens is what happens if the electrified movement goes and, and creates a pivot and you get like right now, when we talk about, you know, um, cars not having soul, what happens if we look at the hypercar arena and we talk about something like, a Oh God! Like an, an Ario P40 hypercar, or something like the uh, the Aspark Owl, like the, those the Aston Martin um, Rapid E, those all of those really hyper um, electric exotic cars that create a new category. Um, you know, you might even in, include like the Audi e-tron Gran Turismo, right? I mean that. That is electric. And I've just named three cars that, or four cars that are just hyper brand new kind of category within, you know, the automotive space. What happens then? And, and, you know, is that, is that just carving out a new space for enthusiasts or is that changing, you know, what we've traditionally thought of as, you know, collecting cars and, and really looking at the upper echelon of where cars are going? So to me, having those electric vehicles and they have them that are amazing. And there's no, there's never been a question about speed. The Plaid is now the fastest production car ever built. End of story. Right. It's the fastest production. And I have no interest in one. I mean, I, <laughs> I took awesome. my brother for a ride in my McLaren and he kept talking about a freaking Plaid. I'm like, dude, I have no interest in it. Yeah. Why? Because it sounds great. 
not, it's still the sound. If you took two people right now and I gave a kid a ride in an electric car that was super fast and pinned him in the back of a seat and loaded with tech and it was cool, and then I threw him into a, a gas power car or even a hybrid that had both, and you got the same experience plus the roar of a motor, I, I like to believe that that still is going to be stirring 50 years from now, a million years from now, when it all sounds like the Jetsons backup noise of the Tesla sound is always, it gives you that feeling, that expression of speed. And it's one more uh, dimension. You know, we talk about senses or XTC had the, the song senses working overtime You talk about the five senses, mm. but the sense of sound when you couple it with speed and that, I don't know if that can ever be eliminated by just having a faster hypercar that's all electric. So, I, so, I, so to, to quote South Park, <laughs> I've learned something today. Well, that's what I said 30, 40 minutes ago, which is we've learned something. <laughs> so, so, so I, I, I think I've hit upon a theme here. And so I, play guitar very very poorly but the greatest rock and roll bands always talk about the same thing and and i remember i think it was john mellencamp um was talking about one of the albums he came out with and you know he 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 went away from it and he goes you know i kind of forgot what rock and roll was about and i and i think it's the same thing that we're talking about the experience with cars and it's going to be very crude. So if you're young, turn it off. You gotta feel that rumble in your balls. Yep. You got it. It's gotta make you feel like there's a, a power that you're trying to control. And that's what, that's what great music does. That's what, great paintings do and that's what great cars do they 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 give you that feeling and if there's a way that an electric car can give you that tingle then i think you're going to get a lot more buy-in but here's but here's my argument with that everything we do in life is experienced with multiple senses that we possess yeah Uh, if you think about eating you know, they say that the sense of taste is really through your sense of smell. And obviously we know taste buds on the tongue and the location, yada, yada. But the bottom line is when I walk into a wildfire, it's the smell of that wood burning oven that gets my juices flowing. That's part of the experience. If that was eliminated, wildfire wouldn't be as attractive to me. When I found, you know, last night, my girlfriend made, I couldn't believe she pulled this off and and she had a little help with some packaging, but she did a general towels chicken but it had red and green peppers. And while she was in there, I heard the fans crank in the kitchen. I could smell this baby cooking. And when that came, there were three senses that I used, right? There was taste, smell, and vision. Okay. I used all three of those senses. And I just think if you eliminated one of those, it wouldn't ruin the experience and you would tolerate it, but it would change it. And no matter what you do, if you eliminate the sound, which is what is an inherent issue or not issue? It's just a quality of an electric motor and an electric vehicle. You eliminate one of the senses that brings life, your experience, your driving to you. 
Now, is there the guy who doesn't give a flying bean poop? Absolutely. So let him get an electric smart car and, and Creo's puddling around like he was in, you know, Speed Racer. But <laughs> the bottom line is there's a good enough chunk of us, which you can see by every TV show and every car auction and every race and the thousands and millions of people who follow all those things. Those people want all of those senses. Why Agreed. do they get robbed? Why should they be denied unless literally cars were killing people? And you're going to get letters say, well, they are the carbon monoxide. But we just went through that. There's really right. no proof of it yet. And guess what? You know, I used to, to say to clients when, when they were looking at something and they couldn't do the full Monty, they couldn't do everything, whether it was some form of insurance or an investment. And I said, well, at least you're putting a fence around the risk. So if we go to 50% EVs, isn't that improving everything 50% better, but letting the people who really want to do that and want to enjoy the sound do that. And the people who want to feel great and, you know, feel wonderful about the environment and plug their cars in at night, do that. But let's just not go binary, right? Let, let's not go digital where it's a one or a zero. It doesn't yeah. have to be on or off. They, they can live in harmony. You know, maybe it's time I, I quote some famous quotes like, can't we all get along for the children? <laughs> well, and, okay. and, and maybe we need to take a, uh, a page out of some great scientific sci-fi movies, right? Where they have future cars, where they have a pretty attractive whirring sound. Right. Right. I, I mean, Jetsons. They, the, why do you the, think Musk the, did that? The, the Jetsons or what is that? Um, what's that Will Smith movie where, uh, men in black. No, nah, the other one, uh, he's, uh, I robot. Oh, because he's, oh, he's 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 got he's got that Audi that makes a really awesome Audi, yeah yeah and and it kind of sounded like the uh, the supercharger on a Hellcat. It had that whine. Yeah. Wow, and and how funny that you just mentioned a supercharger. Um, just that sound alone, the whistle of a turbo or the whine of a supercharger. I, I've only really had one supercharged car, and I bought it when Christopher was young because as a young kid he just was attracted to Mustangs, and I'm not a Ford guy. So I bought a GT500 convertible, 500 horsepower supercharged. And Christopher, to this day, and he was like eight, still says he misses the whine of the supercharger of that car. Tell me that doesn't make an impression. And tell me that that, that is an important part of vehicles. And just because some people, a vehicle is just a tool, does that mean that those of us that it's much more than that, of which is a massive part of the population, does that mean we get stepped on? Does that mean that we don't matter? And again, if I drove my car and I watched people fall down behind me dead, I'll pull over and get an EV. But I don't. When I drive my car, I usually get some thumbs up and some waves. And can I get a ride? <laughs> yeah. So um, may, maybe the answer is they may need to make crappier electric motors that make noise. Right. Or maybe you <laughs> Oh, I think that's a great idea. Card. No, you just take a baseball card and put it in the rim like we used to. <laughs> With the old bicycles. Right. So, okay. We just got to lower the bar. I'm in. <laughs> I... <laughs> it's always easiest to go south. <laughs> All right. Um, well, this was fun. This was fun. This is, is this going to be your longest podcast ever? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I grew a beard. I, I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because you get a five o'clock shadow at like 10 a.m. <laughs> um, 
yeah. So, John, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. I, I hope uh, you have some other subjects that I might be helpful in. Oh, we're yeah. bringing you back for sure. Yeah, I, I love it. I I enjoy it very much. And and as you promised, uh, it was a it was just a nice conversation and discussion. Um, obviously, you can tell uh, where everybody leans. If anything, Tim being the Tesla owner and the guy who's more up on on tech, and we talked about it being an audio file, he was the least um, skewed, jaded, uh, whatever you want to call it, of the three of us. But I thought in general this was a great discussion, and it'll be interesting to hear the the final product, and it'll be interesting to uh, read some of the emails that Tim gets. 